At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is the Run Line, VSIN's premier baseball betting show. With Adam Burke, here's Ben Wilson. We welcome you in. It is the Run Line here from VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Always such a pleasure to have you along. I'm Ben Wilson from our Circus Sportsbook Studio in Las Vegas, two hours of just baseball betting. It's what we do every Sunday night from 8 to 10 Eastern. As always, we've got Adam Burke here, although he's not here next to me. He is in lovely Cleveland, Ohio. A little a surprise home there, Adam, for the parents, our senior MLB analyst. You read his work every single day at vcin.com. How's the, uh, the trip back home treating you, Adam, beside the fact that your Guardians had a 2-0 series lead and could not, uh, could not capitalize on a golden opportunity there to put the White Sox away? Yeah, a lot of four-letter words from my dad about what happened here with the Guardians <laughs> this weekend. But uh, good to see him. Not good to feel the humidity again. But nice to be back home, see my parents. The last time I was here, my dad was going through some medical stuff. So good to see him back up on his feet here. And uh, good to be back on the show with you as well, Ben. I, lo- I love the, the little plan action you got going on behind there. It's, that's a great a great setup in lovely Cleveland, Ohio for you, Adam. That, that, that series specifically and the game today, as we'll start off the show like we've been doing here with our Rapid Sunday Recap, whenever we've had a full MLB Sunday slate, that was one of about seven series that I was fascinated by this weekend. Usually, Adam, there's maybe, what, two, three series that really stand out. Almost half of the series in Major League Baseball had some pretty significant impact, either on divisional wildcard races or, at the very least, impacts on what teams might do going forward for the trade deadline. Let's start with probably the most impressive performance all weekend. That was the Houston Astros, who start their post-All-Star break run by sweeping the Yankees in a single-day doubleheader. Then go to Seattle, take on the Mariners, who had won 14 straight. And, uh, yeah, they just promptly sweep the Mariners without really even raising much of a sweat. 8-5 win today, had a five-run third inning off, or led 5 nothing by the third inning against Robbie Ray today. All of a sudden, Astros creeping ever closer to the Yankees for that number one overall seed. And the Mariners, they fall back into that third, third wild card spot, Adam. And, and you now have to wonder, is the magic for the Mariners, uh, was that just a, a quick blip on the radar? Or is this something they'll be able to bounce back from after the 14-game Winning streak pretty uh, pretty quickly snapped there, and then they lose the entire series three in a row. Yeah, you know, I think Seattle's a really interesting team, especially because you look at some of their starting pitchers, and, and Marco Gonzalez is a guy we've talked about in line for a lot of negative regression. I think Logan Gilbert and Chris Flexen are as well. But I think it's kind of fascinating. You know, Julio Rodriguez performs in the home run derby, now can't play in this series, misses three straight games, has the wrist discomfort. They're calling it a bruise. Hopefully it really is nothing more than that. 
But I kind of liken the Astros a little bit to, you know, I'll go ahead and throw out a Cleveland reference here since I'm here, so why not? But, you know, oh, I kind of liken it to LeBron's, LeBron's Cavs, where, you know, they just kind of, any challenger to the throne, they slap them down. You know, if they played a head-to-head game against a team that was kind of charging them, something like that, they just put them back in their place and kind of showed them, hey, you know, we're still the team to beat here. And Houston's done that multiple times to the Angels so far this season. They've kicked them while they're down, but they also played well against them while they were playing well. And now they do the same thing here to the Mariners. They widen that lead in the AL West. And this is a Houston team that, you know, with Jordan Alvarez back in the lineup, uh, they, you know, I don't know if they're the team to beat necessarily, but you know they're in pretty good shape now with some of the issues that the Yankees are having. Look, 13-game lead now for the Houston Astros just in that division alone. And as we've talked about, they're inching closer and closer to the Yankees now, at least for that number one overall seed. I remember going into the All-Star break, Yankees, if you looked at the odds to get the number one overall seed or just the most wins in baseball in general, if you were including the Dodgers there in the NL, I think the Astros were something like 4-1. to one. Adam, and you look at it now, they're only one back in the loss column, two back in the win column uh, as of right now. We'll talk some more AL East a little bit later, speaking of the Yankees, because they still have a dominant 12-and-a-half game lead in that division. The big series, though, in that division this weekend, the Blue Jays, who come out and just casually put up a franchise record 28 runs on Friday night, but just obliterate Boston over a three-game set, win that win that series in a pretty emphatic 3-0 fashion, win 8-4 today. They scored five in the first off Brian Bayo you got to ask the question now for the Red Sox, who find themselves just a single game over 500 right now on the outside looking into the current wild card picture, three games out of that final spot behind Seattle. Uh, what is uh, what is next here for Boston? Actually, now 48-48 and 48 after the loss today. Adam, they've lost 9-10. You figure they're going to be buyers just because they're Boston, but what uh, what do you make of these recent struggles here coming out of the break for the Sox? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of it stems from their pitching, obviously. I mean, you go up 28 runs, and there, there's certainly some pitching issues going on. And, and I'm on pace for my side bets to score 28 runs per game here uh, in the second half, having the Blue Jays on Friday night, which was kind of nice. But, you know, this Red Sox team, we, we kind of discussed this a little bit, where their pitching is suspect. I mean, Nick Pavetta gives up a lot of hard contact. Nate Uvaldi, who was the starter in that 28-run outburst for the Blue Jays, his velocity remains down, down almost two miles per hour from his season average down from kind of where he was when he went on the IL. Hasn't really been able to get better with that. You know, Chris Sale with the fractured pinky, he won't be back for a long period of time. This is a team that really needs a lot of pitching help. And now on the offensive side, Rafael Devers is on the 10-day IL with a hamstring issue. So Boston has a lot of problems going on here that, you know, they were out hitting for a while, especially in the month of May when their offense yeah. really took off. But now they're coming to the forefront and, that's a, a big problem for them because you, you would think that maybe they're kind of in that Juan Soto race. Maybe they're in the race for a Frankie Montas, somebody like that. But if you're looking at that situation and you're kind of looking at this playoff picture in the AL, if you're the front office, you look at this and go, how much do we really need to win a world championship? Because making the playoffs is all well and good, but you need to position yourself to be a possible World Series team. I think Boston needs a lot to get to that point. Outscored 40-10 to 10 this weekend. Last time I checked, Adam, that's not exactly great in a home Not to mention 27-3 in the last two games before the break. And, and that as well. You now are in a situation where they are, have a negative 12 run differential as we sit here on uh, July the 24th. That's actually worse than Baltimore. Worst, worst run differential in that entire division. Only a half game up right now on Boston for last place uh, in the AL East. Speaking of teams, too, who are right on the edge now on the outside looking into their respective wildcard picture, 
what what the heck, if you're looking at the Phillies here this weekend, you get the Cubs at home, you're thinking this has to be an absolutely perfect way to kickstart your second half, Adam. And it seemed like they'd be off to a good start. Kyle Schwarber hits a solo homer his 30th year, the 30th year on Friday night. And after that, it was an absolute disaster. Chicago put up eight unanswered in that Friday night game. Cubbies go into Philadelphia, sweep the fills. We saw Nick Castellanos nearly get into it with a reporter after the game yesterday. And Philadelphia here on a weekend where like, they've had an opportunity here to, to make some ground up on St. Louis for that third and final wild card spot. Unable to do it. Now a game out of that final spot in the NL race. Yeah, and we talked about Nick Castellanos, Josh Towers, and I a couple of weeks ago on the Real or Fake segment about just the awful year that he's having. Seems like that's kind of leaking over to other parts of his job as well. But, you know, for the Phillies, I mean, their bullpen corrected itself for basically a couple of weeks, you know, right after the firing of of Joe Girardi, and that kind of put them back on track a little bit. But since then, you know, they have not impressed. They've been a pretty below-average team. They're squandering another good season from Aaron Nola as well as from Zach Wheeler. And this is a scenario where the loss of Bryce Harper was going to catch up with this team. We've talked about it all season long. They have to score basically seven runs per game to really have a legitimate shot with that bullpen, with that bad defense. They were unable to do it here in this series. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, a team that had an opportunity, really struggled through it, especially against a Cubs team that was not playing well going into the break, mm -hmm. has a lot of looming trade deadline questions. You know, any of the guys pitching worth anything in their bullpen probably going to get moved. That was the Cubs team you're supposed to take advantage of, like you alluded to, and they didn't do it. And I think that's a, a pretty bad sign. I, I know a lot of things can happen in a three-game series, but that's not a good look for the Phillies at all. Four three winners today were the Cubs in Philadelphia, and a lot of questions now to be asked for the Phillies. But I mentioned the reason they had such a good opportunity was because of the struggles of a team right in front of them, the St. Louis Cardinals. They lose two of three in Cincinnati. Reds win at 6-3 today behind a four-run third-off starter, Miles Michaelis, for St. Louis. We'll get into the Cardinals at least a little bit uh, later from, from kind of looking ahead there, Adam, because they go to Toronto and they'll be without Paul Goldschmidt because he's unvaccinated. So pretty big implications there for that upcoming interleague series north of the border. But a St. Louis team that has Steven Matz go down, he gets injured once again. Uh, and look, you, you kind of wonder about the, these Reds. I know you've been talking about some of these teams who maybe got off to poor starts who have been sneaky good teams to back here that the market hasn't really come around on it. Certainly appears as though the Reds are one of those teams who continue to get the job done, and they've they've played pseudo 500 baseball since that historically awful 25 game start. Yeah, you know the Cardinals are a, a lot like the Marlins to me, where you know if they're going to be playing in a game where it has a little bit higher of a you know a higher scoring game, a little bit more offense to it, they're going to struggle. I mean, Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt really carry that team offensively. We saw the um, you know, we saw the Reds kind of pitch around guys to get to Brendan Donovan. He was unable to drive in runs in key situations in this series. And you know, as you mentioned, going north of the border without Goldschmidt, I mean, that's a substantial loss for them, to say the least. But it's one of those things where the Cardinals need a low-scoring environment, and they get that at home at Bush Stadium. But they're just not the same team on the road. Specifically, a guy like Adam Wainwright has some pretty big home road yep. splits. So I worry about the Cardinals anytime they're not playing in St. Louis there. And that's especially true even against the Reds team that plays in you know such a, a launching pad of a ballpark. We saw Adam Wainwright not exactly thrilled with the, with the Great American Ballpark setup. It's like, hey, man, you're not the first guy who's had to pitch in Great American Ballpark. Like, Let's stop complaining just because that, that place is a bandbox. Uh, and in the meantime, in the NL Central, the Brewers, they did take advantage, even though today was really a game of which bullpen wants to blow it more. Brewers have a, a pretty thrilling 10-9 win. Andrew McCutcheon, the game-winning two-run double off Alex Colomay in the bottom of the eighth. Brewers take the first three games of a four-game wraparound set. 
Two-and-a-half game lead in the division, but another shaky outing for Josh Hader today, Adam. He needed a lot of help, gave up a run in the ninth inning. That is, what now, 17 earned runs for Hader over his last seven appearances now, even though he had a clean inning uh, on Friday night. Not exactly what you would have wanted to see after he made, you know, you would have thought, right, get some time off to clear his head over the All-Star break. Did not exactly look sharp today. No, he didn't. And, you know, fortunately for them, Devin Williams has been basically unhittable for the most part throughout this season to really help them out with haters struggling with him being away from the team a little bit. And this is something that you really wonder if it gets better. You know, you kind of build that workload as the season goes along. They've used him quite a bit. They don't win any games by margin, so they always have to bring him out when they have a lead. That's something where, you know, that's a big concern. And and I think that they are a team that will be a major player at the trade deadline in trying to get some bullpen reinforcements for that group. That is a big topic we have on the show today. We'll talk all the top trade targets a little bit later in the show, including Juan Soto, the odds on where he might land next there for the Washington National Superstar. Still to come, though, I want to get Adam's thoughts on the other big series that we didn't get to in this first block, Dodgers and Giants. Big four-game sweep there for the Dodgers. We'll also update what's happening in Sunday Night Baseball. Good pitching duel so far between the Padres and the Mets, and we'll talk regression report all here in our number one on the run line from VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Vsin's premier baseball betting show. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is The Run Line. Baseball predictions made brighter. Join the Born in a Ballpark Challenge presented by Blue Moon to compete free for cash all season. Enter weekly prediction pools to fight for your share of $62,500 in total cash prizes. Head to DraftKings.com slash Blue Moon now to join the action. Blue Moon made brighter. 21 and over only. Terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Drink responsibly. We're just getting started here on the run line. First of two hours on this Sunday night. I'm Ben Wilson. Adam Burke, looking out the window, at a, looking at the looking at the love at the nature you have there, the flora, the fauna that you don't get here in Las Vegas, Adam, that we have present in, in Cleveland, Ohio. Adam joining us remotely this week. He'll be back in Vegas here in a couple of days. One other series, Adam, wanted to get to, get to you in our rapid Sunday recap before we turn towards Sunday night baseball with a very good pitching matchup going on right now at City Field in New York. But it was what we saw today in Los Angeles, site of the All Star Game. Dodgers uh, players who were participating there didn't even have to leave home. And they come out and sweep the Giants, who had finally started to play good baseball heading into the All-Star break. They'd taken fourth, uh, three or four from Milwaukee heading into the break, and they come out, and despite having a pretty significant pitching edge in the first two games of that series, uh, not only do they not salvage even one of those two games, Adam, but they lose all four, seven, four winners for the Dodgers here. That game wrapped up about a half hour ago. 
And uh, for the Giants here, they, they fall further back. Now two games out of the final wild card spot in the NL. Dodgers continue to increase their lead, now up 11 here with that Padre game pending in New York. Yeah, I guess I was dead wrong in the L.A. City cast with Daniel Alvari on Friday about uh, looking at this Dodgers team and kind of feeling like they might come out of the All-Star break a little bit sluggish. Uh, that was not the case at all. You know, and, and the thing for the Giants, their problems have continued. You know, they've had very bad defense all season long, and they've had a lot of problems with the bullpen, specifically with middle relief, and that reared its ugly head again in this series for them, whereas the Dodgers just kind of kept on humming right along. So this Giants team has regressed offensively, and it's kind of brought the other things into the light of the defense of the relief pitching where the rotation's still great, but you know they just don't pay attention to the details. They're not doing the little things that are required. They're not converting enough batted balls into outs. And the offense, because it's fallen back, hasn't been good enough to help them overcome those things. Yeah, and it's kind of been the, the case of the San Francisco season in a nutshell. Just as you think they're starting to put some things together, they have a series like this, and it's kind of a big reason why here. They sit right, right around hovering that 500 mark and not even a contender right now in the National League West Division. 16 and a half games now by the L.A. Dodgers, two back of the Cardinals for that third and final wild card spot. Mentioned how that current standing position, though, for the Dodgers is somewhat pending. They're 11 games up at the moment. It could be either 10.5 or 11.5, depending on what happens tonight. And so far, Joe Musgrove, he has been dealing to this point. We're just underway, bottom of the third there, Adam. Nothing, nothing between the Padres and the Mets. Look, it, it's not all that often you see Max Scherzer get beaten, especially at home. But as a, about a $1.75, $1.80 home favorite on Friday night, you Darvish comes in and was absolutely brilliant. A guy who's now put together... Seven quality starts in his last eight for the Padres, and they're trying to finish off the series here tonight where Joe Musgrove comes out, has not given up a hit here in his first two and two-thirds. Carlos Carrasco working, out, working around some early danger as well, gives up five hits in the first three innings, but nary a run here, Adam, and shaping up to be a pretty good matchup tonight. Pods and Mets there at City Field. Hey, you know, when I was looking at this, I wasn't looking out the window. I was just kind of pulling this up here to see the last oh, time these two guys pitched. Because that's something that you and I talked about. We texted back and forth about that a little bit, especially as I was watching Shane Bieber's start today. He just wasn't sharp. you know. So I was looking to see the last time these two guys pitched, Joe Musgrove on July 13th, Carlos Carrasco July 14th, where Carrasco, I think the first three or four batted balls that he allowed in this game were all hit extremely hard. He's kind of settled in a little bit now, but that's something that's a very difficult thing to handicap here over the next couple of days as these guys are kind of coming off of 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 day layoffs, stuff like that. Some guys just aren't going to be sharp. And we saw it with Bieber today as command was off. Dylan Cease wasn't overly efficient. And here we've got Carlos Carrasco giving up some very hard contact over the first two and you know two plus innings of this game. It's something that's tough to handicap on Monday and Tuesday, but it is something you want to factor into the equation and also consider with relievers that are used to pitching every day, every other day, some guys not pitching for four, five, six days. It makes it a really tough environment for betting right now. It's a great point you make for this game in particular. I'm seeing the live totals right now down to about four and a half, still juiced over with the Mets here live about a dollar thirty-five to dollar forty-five favorite. You can get the the Padres still even in a nothing nothing game about a plus one oh five or so. And and this was a game that went off. Carlos Carrasco uh, was about a dollar thirty to dollar thirty-five favorite, as high as dollar forty-five at DraftKings. Padres were plus one twenty-five coming back. Pre-game total of eight, juiced under here, but. This weekend, like I not on purpose, I would say, Adam, but I didn't make any pregame bets this weekend. And some of the typical spots I would normally look at, say a you know, like a first five in Darvish Scherzer on Friday night, which is would normally be like an auto play for me. I think that was three and a half. I, I I sat off. I didn't play it. Didn't play Manoa 
and any of his props or any of that game on Saturday with Toronto and, and, and Boston. And look, even though those are examples where a Padres and Mets first five on Friday night would have come home to the under if you bet that, even though Manoa ended up winning the game and, and he had a very solid uh, you know, overall line, he certainly looked shaky at the start and kind of had to pitch his way into some form. So it's, it's one of those things where I found myself extremely cautious here coming out of the break. And for as many of those guys who, and Justin Verlander, another example, the guys who do live up to the billing even off of significant rest, you have your Shane Bieber's of the world. Shane Bieber gives up a five spot today in the second inning, and he was not the far from the only one, right, Adam, who come out and, and just look, uh, look not, not only rusty, but uh, like they need a little bit of time to try and you know, find rhythm and, and the grip on the baseballs, which, again, when you're not pitching a, on a, in a true five-day rest can sometimes be an issue and can sometimes be something we just tend to overlook in the grand scheme of a 162 baseball game baseball season. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I was kind of following along on Friday as I was in the process of traveling and I was texting some buddies and shooting off some DMs. And I'm like, did they bring back the juiced ball coming out of the <laughs> yeah, break? Right? Because it was just, it was home run derby on Friday night, it felt like. And, and a lot of that has to do with guys just not exactly being sharp. You know, you're talking about creatures of habit here where a lot of these guys left the team throughout the all-star break. You know, they went and traveled or spent time with their families or whatever else. So not only are they not going on their usual turns, going eight, nine, ten days between starts, they're not even really throwing side sessions or bullpens or anything like that. And I thought it was really interesting, Alec Manoa, when he struck out the side in the All-Star game, you know, they had him mic'd up. And I think he said something to the effect of, like, well, that was a hell of a bullpen session. You know? So yeah. some of the guys got to kind of keep their edge a little bit by pitching in the All-Star game. But for the guys that didn't, you know, you look at a Nick Pavetta, for example. You know, he comes out and, and or excuse me, Nate Uvaldi. He comes out and just gets absolutely blasted by the Blue Jays. And that's a guy who had just come off the I.L., you know, had not really made major league starts for a while. And we saw him struggle to an extreme degree. So, again, something you really want to look at here on Monday and Tuesday. And also, I know there are some teams that have some extra off days. I think Chicago is off Monday and the White Sox are off Monday and Thursday this week. Mm -hmm. So their guys are still going to be thrown off for a couple of weeks. So either tread lightly or, you know, try to use those situations to your advantage. Yeah, and as you point out, this isn't just like a blanket system of, all right, we'll just don't bet anything or don't trust any starting pitcher. It kind of – it does become a case-by-case -case basis, and it's where having to you – know, doing the deep dive is, I would say, more important, especially in a, in a stretch like this, fresh out of the All-Star break. It's funny, though, speaking of you – know, like he's talking about the juice balls and a 28-run outing on Friday night for Toronto and all the runs being scored – yeah, the New York Mets didn't exactly get that message coming out of the break. A combined one run scored across 12 innings facing Hugh Darvish and Blake Snell from Friday night into Saturday night. Only one run in each of those first two games, losing both of them. And, and they've looked very, uh, very shaky at the plate so far tonight against Joe Musgrove. Uh, it goes without saying, two of those pitchers among the game's elites here, Adam. But I know you've been someone who's talked about the Mets' potential for some regression at the plate throughout the first half of the year. Not exactly the way you'd want to be starting coming on the second half, considering how prevalent the offense has been here throughout the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, this is this is something we talked about basically, you know, two months ago or so. Looking at the mm -hmm. Mets and looking at their offensive output and the fact that their contact quality, their hard hit percentage, and their barrel rate really didn't match up with what they were doing offensively. And now that's kind of come to fruition where they're still not making a lot of hard contact and the offense has tailed off quite a bit. And this is a team that by and large, has stayed pretty healthy in terms of their position player group. We've seen a lot of injuries league-wide, but the Mets, you know, they've had the pitching injuries, certainly with Scherzer and DeGrom missing time, but offensively, they've mostly been okay, and yet their contact quality numbers are still lagging behind. So 
that's kind of been something that's come back to bite them a little bit, while at the same time, the Braves are just tearing the cover off the ball. I mean, highest hard hit percentage, highest barrel rate for them basically since the middle of May, basically since early June when they got that really soft part of the schedule. That's one of the big reasons why they've been able to catch the Mets. It's not just that the Braves have been playing well. It's also that the Mets have leveled off offensively, as you mentioned, and it's definitely taken a toll on them. And you look at the Braves, they once again take care of business, even though they lose today 9-1. They win the series against the Angels. They beat Shohei Otani on Friday night, and you're looking out at them, and you talk about a schedule, too. Look, you go to Philadelphia, but that is a team that we'll maybe talk about a little bit because I know they're on your regression report here. We'll talk about Philadelphia in the next segment. That's a team completely reeling right now, and that represents five of the next eight games for Atlanta. In between, that's a series against Arizona, who, again, is better than we all expected they would be this year, but still a below 500 team bringing up the rear there in the National League West. Look, thing, things getting very tight uh, in that NL East. As, of, as it stands right now, If look, if the Padres end up winning tonight, you'll see those two teams, Mets and Braves, decided by just a half game uh, in the National League East. Want to get your thoughts, though, on the regression report for the Philadelphia Phillies. That's a team I'm curious where Adam's going to go. Nick Castellanos, I'm, I'm glad he was in real or fake because it's very apropos of a guy who nearly got into a kerfuffle with a reporter in the clubhouse after the, other, after the loss the other day. Get Adam's take on the general state overall the Philadelphia Phillies when we return here on The Run Line. You found VEASAN's premier baseball betting show. This is The Run Line. The VEASAN College Football Guide is out now, and the Pro Football Guide is coming soon. There's no better way to prepare for the college and pro football seasons. Our experts provide profiles of every team with advanced stats and power ratings, plus best bets on season win totals, division finishes, and player awards. Reserve your copy of the Football Betting Guides today and get access to everything we offer for the entire football season with a VEASAN All-Access subscription. Make this football season your best ever. Subscribe now at vsin.com slash subscribe. We're back. It is the run line here from VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. And believe it or not, even though we call him our you know, VSIN MLB expert, he writes a daily column at VSIN.com, handicapping the Major League Baseball slate. Adam Burke, you're, uh, you're also a pretty big contributor there to the college football betting guide as well. Man of many talents. What you writing on, uh, writing on the Mac, since that is, that is, after all, your home state and your alma mater, right? I did not get the Mac. You didn't get but the it Mac. Is my, I did not get the Mac. It is my home state. My alma mater goes zips. Um, goes maybe zips. Joe Moorhead will help them win a game or two this season. Uh, but no, I did the SEC, Big 12, Conference USA, and the Sun Belt. So I did all those team previews and then also an article on how to set up a very basic system of power ratings so that you can kind of set your own numbers on the games. And you know the idea is for the line to move towards your number. And if it doesn't, then you know what you need to adjust and fix. Look at that. Man of many talents and doesn't even, you know, can do it without even needing to rely on his own former conference, the MAC. But hey, whatever. It'll still be a lot of fun when we have the MAC action this year on, on midweek nights. Of course, uh, until then, though, we still have plenty of baseball, even though we're only about a month away here from the start of college football. Want to get to the regression report, which has been a staple of this show since we launched back in April. Adam, we talked about the Philadelphia Phillies. They, you know, they get swept this weekend by the Cubs. It's funny how a lot of times when we, you know, we start cooking up ideas here for the regression report and you're doing some of the deep dive numbers, it is almost like a guarantee that that team will then buck whatever trend it is we're talking about and just either explode or look terrible, depending on how we, you know, how we frame them. But Phillies, in this case, I know you're, you're certainly, look, you think about what, they're, uh, what they still have to do here and remain, at this point, a game out of the wild card spot. It does kind of go along with the, the theme here, that you are certainly higher than, I would imagine, some people on Philadelphia, given the managerial change that they've had and given the injury to Bryce Harper. 
Yet, of course, they come out and get swept and don't look very pretty doing it in the process there against the Cubs. Yeah, only one barrel today for them. They didn't have a lot of hard-hit balls either. Only nine hard-hit balls against Drew Smiley uh, and the Cubs' bullpen. But the thing that's really fascinating for me about the Phillies is when you look at them for the month of July, going into today's game, and as I said, they didn't really make a lot of quality contact today, but going into today's game, fourth in hard-hit percentage in Major League Baseball and second in barrel rate. So they've made a lot of really high-quality contact so far here throughout the month, but they just really haven't had a whole lot to show for it. Maybe they're just kind of going through one of those lulls. Maybe it's just one of those parts of negative regression that happen or negative variance, I should say, mm-hmm. that happens throughout the course of the season. But I mean, they've made a lot of really good contact here in the month of July. That's without Bryce Harper's services. But, you know, there's still a team that's kind of just treading water right now. So maybe that's something that gets a little bit better. Maybe it's something that doesn't. Maybe they're overachieving from a contact quality standpoint without the results and they'll kind of fall back to the pack a little bit. But this is a really interesting Phillies team because I've had multiple junctures throughout the year where I'm like, you know what? I kind of believe in this team. And then something happens and they blow a five-run lead in the eighth or something like that. And I go, oh, yeah, that's why I didn't believe in them. So (laughs) it's just the inconsistency for this team is absolutely maddening. You think about what is still to come as well for Philadelphia. They have a whopping 11 games remaining against the Washington Nationals, which is a big reason why... They have, as I'm looking right now, Adam, the seventh easiest remaining strength of schedule. It's an average opponent winning percentage of 479. Again, right now, just on the outside looking in for that final NL wildcard spot, but against at least right behind here, a St. Louis Cardinals team that, as we'll talk about in a little bit, certainly has had some issues of their own. We're just pulling up some of the, uh, the, uh, the in-season odds here. DraftKings, I know they've just taken down uh, until the, the games end here tonight. Uh, some of the make the playoffs odds right now. Phillies at this point, 35 to 1 to win the NL East. But when you consider that it's not only 11 games against Washington, it is 25 games combined against the Nationals, Pirates, and Reds down the stretch. For Philadelphia, you would think against, especially pitching staffs like that, I know Pittsburgh has had a couple of arms who have impressed uh, based on the perceived baseline of that overall roster strength but with their pitching staff. But shouldn't that set up? It's, it's not always just looking at raw strength of schedule, right? It's looking at well, what do perceived means of regression fit into what a team is actually going to face? And they're going to face some pretty weak pitching here still to come. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, honestly, the best trade deadline acquisition for the Phillies would be Nick Castellanos remembering how to hit. I mean, that would be the most important thing for them. But, you know, they are a team that, when when you kind of look at the trade deadline picture, I know that we're going to do this a little bit more in the second hour of the show, but when you look at the trade deadline picture, there are a lot of teams capable of being buyers. But there are some teams that would benefit a lot more from being buyers than others. And I think the Phillies are one of them. You know, I mean, if they can get some of the better bullpen arms that are out there, maybe a reunion with David Robertson or something like that, you know, that helps the back end of their bullpen. If they can find a way to get maybe somebody who could be a defensive replacement late in games, you know, something like that to kind of take Alec Bohm off the field, maybe that's a good idea for them. You know, this is a team that I think has some flexibility when it comes to the trade deadline because some teams are pigeonholed into needing exactly one thing. The Phillies could benefit from a lot of different things that could help a lot of different parts of the ball club. So, you know, look, if, if their you know, contact quality numbers remain high and they do some things to either improve the defense or improve the relief pitching, all of a sudden this looks like a different kind of team. No question. No, it's a really good point. Like, as we talk about in our next segment, we'll break down the odds for Juan Soto's next team, but then at the top of our next hour, Before we get to Real or Fake, which is another staple of the show that we'll have uh, here on the program tonight, we'll talk about some of the remaining 
interesting topics and interesting interesting targets here at the trade deadline. Again, it's coming up August the 2nd, so really we only have essentially one more show to even discuss it here on the run line, and then it'll basically be here before we know it. And right after that, we'll be into the home stretch. Most teams will cross over that 100-game threshold at some point this week here as we get into the final uh, 60, 65 games of the regular season. So that's an interesting case study to look at for Philadelphia. As far as some of these other races, and we touched on it very briefly at the top, but really didn't dive in as far as looking at some of the big series from over the weekend, Adam. If, if you're sticking with the theme of these teams who are going to be in the mix but have very easy strength of schedules going forward, the White Sox is a team we've talked about ad nauseum. They, now, they, they went from the easiest strength of schedule, technically now the second easiest, but get Kansas City 11 times still to come here. What did you make of everything that went on in that series where it was like a lot of, a lot of good for Cleveland early in the series, but faltered in a position where they could have swept the doubleheader on Saturday after a pretty crazy game one Saturday, and then the issues that they had in their pitching with Shane Bieber today. I'll kind of start here with the Sox, and I know I want to, you want to certainly give your thoughts on Bieber and the general consensus here for the Guardians, but was there anything you really learned about the White Sox more than outside of the fact that they're just a super inconsistent team who had, what it, once again, a pretty representative series of what's been their entire season in a nutshell here? Yeah, look, I mean, it's, you know, kind of one step forward and two steps back for this White Sox team. Now, Luis Robert uh, back on the IL dealing with some sort of illness. I'm not sure if it's COVID or if it's something else, but he's going to miss the next 10 days or so. And, and that's, you know, been an ongoing theme for this team where they just they lose somebody basically every week and it winds up being some sort of impact player. Uh, the bullpen has issues in middle relief. They've not been very consistent. Tony Larusa overused those guys early on in the season. They're fortunate to get Liam Hendricks back after the injury, but this is a team that still needs some bullpen help. I will say this. So Lucas Giolito, if you look at his line score for this week, it was not good. But if you look at what actually happened in that start, and I wrote about this in my daily article, I believe he gave up five hits on batted balls of 80 miles per hour or less. Jeez. So it was just really bad luck for him in that start. This is not a great defensive team for the White Sox either. But, you know, they're just a team that, they, they can't string it all together for one reason or another, and I don't know if it's La Russa. I don't know if it's something more than that, but again, when you start to feel like they kind of figure it out, somebody else gets hurt again. Yep. You know, They took three out of four from the Twins, made things really interesting in that Central Division, finally pushed me to make a play on them to win that division, and then now this, where I think they're very fortunate to, to come out of this series against Cleveland with a split. Still four games back now in the AL Central. Guardians a game ahead of them. And right now, Twins plus 110 at DraftKings to win the Central. White Sox plus a buck 25. Guardians at 4-1. to one. Was doing a show with Amal Shaw yesterday, Adam, and he was ma making a pretty passion case for the Guardians. And it's you know, we've talked so much about strength of schedule being a reason why you'd want to back the White Sox. But Guardians are, at this point, a top 10 easiest strength of schedule right now. 16 games left combined between the Tigers and the Royals in the second half of the year. I know you've been in more of the cynical camp on Cleveland, not really feeling like they've got the horses to actually do it and get either a playoff spot or win the division. Has anything changed with you on that after watching this weekend series? Well, they need a healthy Jose Ramirez. I mean, that, that's the most important thing for them, and, and we'll see how he does coming out of the home run derby with that thumb injury that he had. Uh, you know, Framil Reyes is a guy that's still not really performing up to snuff, but you know, I still have issues with this bullpen. They got a bunch of converted starters back there that really you know, got worn down at the tail end of the first half. They're using Brian Shaw in high leverage, which is a gigantic mistake. Uh, and the question is, will they mortgage any part of the future to be a buyer at the trade deadline here? To me, I think they're probably better off being a seller, moving an Ahmed Rosario type guy, moving somebody out of the bullpen, maybe moving a starter or something like that. But 
know, this is a team that uh, they're young and they're hungry, and and you would hope that they don't run out of gas as they're trying to chase down, you know, some playoff potential. Yeah, and we'll see what the if the decision pays off because the Guardians look they go to Boston, the reeling Red Sox four game series starting tomorrow. They did sit Jose Ramirez after we played both games of the doubleheader on Saturday. We'll see if that decision was a good one from Terry Francona, trying to keep their slugger healthy and rested. He did go two for seven in the doubleheader, had a couple of RBI, but big big series for both the Guardians and the Sox starting tomorrow. All right, we'll talk Juan Soto. Next team odds next here on the Run Line. You found VEASAN's premier baseball betting show. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is the run line. It is the run line from Visa and the Sports Betting Network. Continuing on our number one of the two hour show. Adam Burke joining us remotely here from lovely Cleveland, Ohio. I'm Ben Wilson from our Circus Sportsbook Studios in Las Vegas. Thanks to Jason Kahn, our producer behind the glass, Andrew Ingold, our technical director. We got Oliver Taylor, full house there as well behind the glass, helping us try to look as good as possible. We're doing our best here on the air today, Adam. We're going to get into a bunch of the trade deadline candidates coming up in our next segment. We want to focus on the big one here right now, and that is Juan Soto. We saw a couple days ago the report, Adam, from Bob Nightingale in the USA Today, the seven teams who'd made initial contact there with the Washington Nationals, at least starting the conversation, making offers, and at least at points bet, that is really the one book you can at least make a wager on this stuff if you are so inclined as to Juan Soto's next team. Before we get into those odds, though, at, at this point, I know we had the very initial kind of quick reaction discussion, Adam, on whether we believed Soto would get moved pre-deadline or post-season, post essentially. You made, the I thought, the very prescient case that a lot of what we were hearing early on was essentially just one-sided from Scott Boris, the agent perspective, when he said he didn't expect Soto to get dealt. Uh, where do you stand on it now that we've had a couple of weeks to stew over it and see where some of these teams have started to get aggressive and at least make some offers there for Soto? Yeah, look, this is a really challenging deal to try to put together because it's really hard to acquire a player like Juan Soto if you're not going to be able to sign him to that mega contract that he's going to get, probably 40 to $45 million a year. But you also have to have the prospect pool in order to trade to Washington to get him. So we're talking about basically having to give up three top prospects plus a lot of payroll flexibility, give him 10, 12, 15 years at 400 plus million. That's a really big ask that a lot of teams just simply don't really have the capacity to do. And the thing that's kind of ironic about it is the teams that are the favorites or at least the short prices here to get a guy like Juan Soto, they don't really have the prospect pool to do it or don't want to move. 
that level of prospect. So Mm -hmm. I think it's really hard logistically to make this deal work right now. I think you'd have a better chance at the winter meetings when everyone gets together and maybe you can coordinate a three-team deal, something like that. But, I mean, look, obviously Juan Soto is a impactful player to say the least. So teams are definitely doing their due diligence to ask, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if he gets moved. I just think logistically it's easier to do in the wintertime. Yeah, look, I totally understand on that. And as far as the actual odds here, uh, and it is funny because, like you point out, Adam, you can pretty much poke holes in every single one of these scenarios where the Yankees and the Mets are the co-favorites at plus 450. These were up to, up, to, up to date here heading into the weekend, so there could have been a little bit of shifting. We saw a report coming out that the Cardinals were maybe viewed as a, a front runner. They were plus 650 here at one point, and we, a lot, everything we've, from our discussions we've had over the past couple of days on the network, Adam, as well, you think about, all right, would Washington really actually trade Soto in division to the Mets? That doesn't seem all that likely. They just, again, were one of those seven teams actually on the list who, who had made that initial contact there. It's, it's the one team I keep finding myself coming back to, though, is one that at least like they've got some of those pieces in place where if they really wanted to go all out, they could make a deal work here pre-deadline, and that would be the Mariners, who you saw a moment ago there at 9-1. to That was one of the seven teams involved in the early talks. And I just bring that up, Adam, solely because when you have the prospect pool that Seattle does, where you start, when you look at three really top guys, when you, like you have a Jared Kelnick, and a Matt Brash as the top two prospects here who have already appeared in, in the major leagues. And I still would have to think for Kelnick, who's only 23, one bad month at the major league level is not going to completely wipe out his trade value for the type of upside he provides. We've already seen and gotten a pretty decent sample size of Brash at the big league level. George Kirby, I would imagine, is another top prospect who's a very bright young arm that they would be willing to include. And you combine that with the fact that Seattle's got the ownership that has made it very apparent based on the money and the backing that they have there in the Pacific Northwest, that they're willing to spend on guys. Now, does that mean that some somebody in Soto's range of contract is reasonable? I don't know. It just it kind of makes sense, though, from a standpoint of if you're combining all those different, different variables, of which most of the teams on that list, as you make the case, Adam, all come up short on, Seattle's that one team where, again, you'd have to make it somewhat of a stretch, right? But you could see a world in which they at least have the pieces to offer and with the deep pockets to, at the very least, match his minimum contract demands are. I'm not sure your thoughts on that, but that is the one team I keep coming back to. You see them at 9-1 to one as, uh, as the Soto odds there for next team, if he, in fact, does get traded. Yeah, as I was looking through the list and, and kind of gauging the possibilities for these teams, the Mariners were one that I looked at, you know, because you've got Kirby and Brash, as you mentioned, that already have some major league experience. Noel V. Marte is a, a very good prospect in the low minors for them. That's a guy that would probably be a focal point for the Nationals. The Mariners do have the opportunity to match up. Now, also, when you think about the idea of pairing Julio Rodriguez long-term with Juan Soto, that's pretty exciting, I think, if if you're the Mariners' front office. And also, we've seen Jerry DePoto be very, very aggressive. He kind of treats this like a fantasy roster in some respects. He's always making some kind of deal. He's the kind of guy that will be persistent and, and maybe even relentless in his pursuit of a player like Soto. I think when you look at the Yankees, it's not really Brian Cashman's M.O. anymore to sort of go out there and get high-priced free agents or trade away from the prospect pool because they've done so well from a player development standpoint. The Mets, I don't think they have the prospects. They have the money, obviously, Mm -hmm. with the backing of Stephen Cohen. I just don't think that they have the prospects. The Dodgers, I mean, how many more pieces do you need, right? I mean, you know, do they (laughs) go out there and, and get a Juan Soto when they have to decide if they want to give a massive extension to Trey Turner? 
I think they'd probably prefer Turner, honestly, just because he's already there. It doesn't cost them anything in terms of prospect capital. So they'll probably just end up keeping him. Cardinals, maybe. Giants, I don't know if they have the prospects. The Padres don't anymore because of all the trades that they've completed, unless they're willing to maybe give up Fernando Tatis Jr. You know, but would the Nationals take on his big contract while they're trading one away in Soto? It's just really hard. I mean, this this isn't a fantasy world. This isn't the show. Yeah. This isn't playing fantasy baseball on Yahoo Sports. It's very hard to make a deal like this. So that's why I think it's probably going to happen over the offseason because you're going to have to trade young players that are already at the major league level, possibly having an impact for your team. Now is maybe not the time that you want to do something like that. No, look, totally understand it. And that's why I still, wall again, the, the, like you mentioned, the prospective pairing of Julio Rodriguez with a guy like a Soto is very exciting to think about. And the Mariners, too, while they have an ownership that has made it very clear, especially coming into this past offseason, yes, we want to spend. And they have a GM they hired who has made it also very clear in Jerry DePoto. Yeah, I want to spend and acquire guys to help us win. That's a team who's still only 22nd in Major League Payroll, where they've got a lot of wiggle room to go through right now. But at the same time, I, I still tend to lean on the side where you're on, Adam, where I, I would imagine at the end of the day probably stays put ends up kind of how we talked about originally where it seemed kind of like a slam dunk that he wouldn't go anywhere. I at least am at least entertained here and could see a world in which some of these moves happen still would lean that he does not get moved, but did just want to bring up the Cardinals for a second. And if we kind of can, can break this down piece by piece and see if it does make sense now that we had the, the story come out. And that was really just earlier today as, where the Cardinals have, have gotten some, some movement in at least in that market is for his next team. And, and when you think about the fact where they've got some, like it, it is kind of a combination, right? Young outfielders who have big league experience with you know, like a Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill types who could potentially be uh, movable and really, really good prospects. Matt Libertor, who's already been up at the big league so far. Jordan Walker, third baseman. Mason Wynn, who's a middle infielder, who could be uh, certainly a, a big piece as well. Going forward for a, a rebuilding franchise, 12th in their payroll right now. So sure, on paper, it makes sense. I just don't see from what the Cardinals organization has, has done in the past outside of the, uh, the, the trades that they have made for, and, and you look at the Nolan Arenado and the Paul Goldschmidt deals, is maybe a sign of a change there in that overall front, front office viewers, uh, you know, viewership and the standpoint that they have. I wonder if Soto's kind of on a different level, though, for a team like St. Louis that has always been pretty grounded in, in kind of setting a stake and putting a line in the sand, right, as far as how far they are actually willing to go when it comes to signing somebody of a caliber like a Soto who's going to, kind of, going to command such a huge premium there on the open market. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's really important to keep in mind, too, that, you know, Scott Boris is a tremendous wild card in, in this whole picture. You know, the the Nationals actually have a really good relationship with Scott Boris. They've signed a lot of his clients in the past, you know, because if you're a front office or you're an ownership group, you're looking at this saying, OK, we have to give up, you know, these five players. But then we also have to try to get this guy to sign with us for over 400 million. So, you know, what's Juan Soto's incentive to sign in Toronto? where you have the massive income tax north of the border. You know, that's something that Scott Boris is going to say, no, we don't want to do that. Let's sign somewhere else where the tax rate's a little bit better. You know, and that's something that these teams are going to have to worry about here too. And, and I don't know if that's necessarily an issue for the Cardinals or anything like that. And maybe they have a pretty good relationship with yeah. Scott Boris. But it is one of those things too that, you know, is going to limit the available destinations for him because they're going to go team they're going to be teams that say Boris isn't going to sign with us, so we're not going to get Juan Soto. You know, so I, I wonder there may be two teams that can actually make this deal happen, 
And we don't even know if either one of those teams are you know, going to try to do it. Again, just over a week till the trade deadline, August the 2nd this year. Will Soto get dealt? It's an interesting conversation to have. We certainly lean in the no camp, but if it was to, if it was to happen, I would want to see it to the Mariners, Adam. I don't know about especially as a, I mean, as a Brewer fan. I would love to see it not happen to St. Louis, but we'll see what, what eventually is the final result there for Juan Soto. We'll talk about some of the other very interesting names that are going to be floated around here at the trade deadline when we return. Update you as well on Sunday Night Baseball. Good pitching duel continues there in New York here on the run line. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.